Begin Podfix Network transmission in three, two, one. What is up, plant people? It's time once again for the Planthropology Podcast. I'm sure we dive into the lives, careers, and general awesomeness of some very cool plant people, figure out what makes them tick, and coming back for more. I'm Vikram Baliga, your host and your humble guide in this journey through the plant sciences. And as always, my friends, I'm so excited to be with you today. Hey, I appreciate you hanging in there with me. If you listen consistently, you know that this is my first new episode in like a month or so. I've had some family stuff going on. I've had to travel and then work got crazy at the end of the semester and all of that. And I've decided it was okay to take a little bit of a break. And um, I thank you so much for hanging in there with me and hope you're excited about today's episode. I know I am for sure. So this summer, one thing I'm really working on is to start interviewing and working more with people actually in my department here at Texas Tech University. It's interesting. I've probably talked to more people from across the world than I have my own colleagues and everyone's busy and I get that in finding time to do it. And so I'm kind of committing to interviewing more of my colleagues and more of our students. I think getting a student perspective on horticulture and on plant science and on this whole green industry is really fascinating and it's something that we haven't had a whole lot of on the show. So today I talked to Emily Stam, who is someone who's been a friend for a little while. We met at an event we were having here at the greenhouse a while back and she contacted me a little while later saying that she might be interested in coming back to school. Emily has a master's degree in math and is about to have another master's degree in plant science and so her journey and her story is really interesting and she's also one of the uh funnier more um engaging plant people i know so i know you're really going to enjoy this so we talked about everything from experiences in grad school in different fields to learning and the uh, excitement about learning new things to what got emily into plants and then we spent quite a bit talking about some of the wildness that happens in a lot of these plant groups on the interwebs. And uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a fun conversation. And I think it's something you're really going to like. So without any further ado, let's jump into episode 82 of Planthropology with Emily Stan. So, in fact, like some of this conversation about how the interview is normally a cold open, maybe how the interview starts. It's okay. really, I'm really, prof- I'm a professional. I don't know if you knew that. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know y'all can't see her face, but it was, there was a question mark on it. So, Emily, thank you for coming to talk to me. Thank you for having me. I know I bugged you about this for months. <laughs> Only for months. It was it wasn't excessive or anything. Well, oh yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm not excessive at all. <laughs> no, is this your first podcast? Do you listen to podcasts? <laughs> I do sometimes, but most of the time when I hear things and I don't see anything, it puts me to sleep. Oh. I don't know why. I used to read like books for English classes and I, I would have like the sound or like someone reading it going and I'd fall asleep. That's good. Yeah. Or something. Super terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I never read anything. I just read spark notes. Wait. So, well, you know, but if it got you through, you know, so how, how does that like affect you in the car? Do you like go to sleep in the car right away on road trips and stuff? (laughs) When I listen to music in the car, usually in my head, I watch the music video. Oh, that sounds safe. Yeah. Well, I guess it's better than watching it on your phone. (laughs) Okay. So plant stuff, sort of. Um, Tell us about you. 
So I'm Emily. I like plants. I like math. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Those things usually go together. (laughs) Um, Definitely animals. So I grew up in Houston and I lived in Louisiana for a little bit. And I've always kind of liked nature, but, you know, going in and out of school and stuff, I just got busy. And I did FFA in high school and I really enjoyed that. I worked with chickens and that was the animal I picked because it wouldn't weigh more than me. (laughs) Hopefully. (laughs) Hopefully. But I had a, I was walking a lamb once for a friend and it dragged me. It was not fun. So after that, I was like, no more, no more big animals. I I know you can't see Emily, but she's like five, two, (laughs) five, three. Oh, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize. According to the doctor. <laughs> Depending on the gas station. Um, so, why, okay, so you have done FFA, you've done all those things, and then you studied math. How did how did you get into math? <laughs> so, my parents really wanted me to do engineering, and I did not like engineering, but the only thing I did like out of all my engineering courses was math. So, I was like, hey, I like this. I want to teach math. And so, here we are. <laughs> all right. So... Yeah, I got my math degree, my BA, and I really enjoyed it. And I knew I wanted to go into teaching. So I decided to get an MA as well. So that way I would be more prepared than other teachers to teach like the foundations of math. And then I could also do dual credit and it Mm. would make me a little more competitive for AP courses. (laughs) I did eventually teach stats, AP and dual credit. Wow. But it was miserable. When I interviewed, I told them, I will teach any math besides statistics. I mean, so, statistics so, isn't math. So then they made you teach stats. Yes. I said, I will teach geometry if you need me to. And then they were like, here's statistics. And I was like, all right, I guess wait, this is what we're doing. Wait, I want to back up. So statistics is not math? So I personally, I mean, there's a lot of like arguments about it. But you, whenever you look at math and statistics, they have a lot of overlap. Sure. But the way that you think about statistics is a little different compared to like pure math or applied math. Hmm. And you could count statistics as applied math if you really wanted to. But I I think that they are separate because of like what you're doing and what's the intention stats. You're looking at all of these numbers and all the data and observations and you're looking at, you know, what's going to happen based on your data in math, I don't know. I just feel like it's different. Hmm. I feel like I'm not explaining it well because I'm nervous. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to be nervous, but I understand. Uh, no, I kind of, I kind of get what you're saying. That like sometimes, like how do I, how do I say it? It's like when we talk about science. You know, we 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 study basic science and we learn some of the mechanisms that drive biology or whatever else and those are kind of studied in and of themselves, but then we do applied science and it's like, we take those concepts and we apply them to like biological systems or farms or whatever. And and at least in my head, that kind of reads the same way, right? Like math is the basics and Mm -hmm. not that it's like easy, but it's the foundation (laughs) that we build statistics and stuff off of. It's funny that you say math's not easy. Sometimes people are like, oh, you took a lot of math. You must be good at it. You must not have cried as much. And I'm like, no, <laughs> the more math you take, the more you cry. <laughs> like, <laughs> but yeah, so when I was doing my MA, I lived with my now husband and we lived in a duplex and I finally had windows that got sunlight. So I was like, 
plants. I'm Mm going to get plants. Like I'd always tried to get plants and they just always died because spider mites. Yeah. That was my main problem starting and then light. Right. Yeah. And yeah, they need that. So (laughs) when we moved and I had more light, I started getting more plants. And then when we moved into our house, it just sort of exploded. Okay. But I've always wanted to have plants. Like I remember in either eighth or ninth grade, I got a money tree, I think. Mm -hmm. And it died so fast because I didn't ever open the blinds. I just, Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. there was no light. That'll do do it. Yeah. They need it. Well, and and I think that that's a, that is a common like plant mistake is, you know, we give out succulents as door prizes and, and all kinds of things. And those are mostly full sun or, if not full sun, like heavy sun plants. And then people like take it and put it on their desk in a yeah. basement office or whatever. And then it's like everyone says succulents are easy to keep alive. And I can't. Well, it, if you can give them enough light and you don't water them too much, they're fine. And the other thing is people sometimes give their plants too much light. Mm-hmm. And that also can stress them out. Like I have lights on my plant shelves and I definitely had way too much light and all of my plants were struggling. And as soon as I cut back on the light and just like night and day literally but also <laughs> figuratively with the plants <laughs> uh, you didn't even mean that to be a pun and i like it um so okay now you are finishing up you're almost done i'm almost done. you're almost done your master's in plant and soil science How, yes. what what drove you to that so at the beginning of the pandemic you know teaching in a pandemic is miserable mm-hmm And I started having some health issues and the pandemic plus the health issues kind of got overwhelming. So I was like, okay, I need to take a step back from teaching. Like I can't be at school all the time with sick people and then having to go to the doctor all the time too. So I was like, I'm going to take a break. And during that one semester break, I was like, I'm not going back to teaching. I can't do it. (laughs) Like after hearing some of the stories from like, former co-workers, I was like, mm, nope, <laughs> I can't do that. And so I was like, well, what do I want to do? And I knew that I really wanted to do something that would help people mm-hmm. without maybe not interacting with them. Sure. In, in I, that's understandable. Yeah. Um, so Ryan, my husband's always like, I like my job because I can help people without actually interacting with them. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, that makes sense to me. So I knew I wanted to go into something plant related in order to, you know, improve our environment or work with uh, endangered species. I know we've talked about that before. Yeah. Like that would be the dream to do research and try to reintroduce these endangered native species. And so that would be a lot of fun. And while it may not seem like that's helping people, I think it is indirectly because, I mean, if we have all of these species that go extinct what are we going to do if we need those plants? Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think any, any time we, you know, improve ecosystem dynamics and reintroduce species and make more stable ecosystems, especially with the rate of like species loss we're seeing now. Yeah. It's kind of scary. It's terrifying. And, and, you know, between plants and animals and everything else, you know, it's all connected. I think that that's something that we don't maybe talk about enough because people specialize so much. I get it. You kind of have to. Yeah. 
but when certain links in these ecosystems and food chains start dying, whether it's a plant that serves as like a food source or an animal that controls the population of a plant or whatever, like all these things are related. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk about, if you don't mind your, I guess I didn't warn you about this question. It's okay. Oh God. <laughs> uh, no, you're, you'll be fine. Um, talk about your grad school experience because that's something that like, I haven't gotten to talk to a lot of, like current studying active grad students on the show. You know, I talk to a lot of people that are on the other side of their master's or their PhD. And, you know, you kind of forget after a while and it's like, oh, I wasn't that bad, blah, blah, blah. Not that I want you to be like, it's the worst thing I've ever done. I'll, you know, but talk about your experience. How, like, how has this been maybe compared to your previous master's? And just like, have you enjoyed it? You know, touch, just tell us about it a little bit. So I have enjoyed the horticulture master's because it is challenging. And if I'm not challenged, I get really bored <laughs> and then I stop caring. Uh, but for my MA in math, I did most of it online. Mm. And so, I mean, it was at my own pace. It was fairly easy. I had notes from undergrad I could use. Like it wasn't as challenging as I wanted it to Mm. be, but I did end up getting the degree and it worked well for me. But with the horticulture masters, I've had a couple courses and to name a few soil chemistry and plant nutrient management that really, really challenged me. And while it was miserable and I cried a lot, I definitely think that it was a good thing for me. There's always more crying. Yeah. Gosh, all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's, that's good to hear. And you know, you've, I think it's cool. You've had the opportunity to go to like conferences and you've done actually well at some of these conferences, right? You won a, uh, an award recently. Uh, so we got, or we, I got third place at TNLA, the Texas nursery and landscaping association. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I won third, third place for that, uh, presentation and that was really exciting and a lot of fun. I would like to think that my previous experience teaching kind of helps me with presentations, but I definitely still get nervous. So I was kind of surprised that I placed third. So you did well. Yeah. I I thought thought your presentation was good. Thank you. I used lots of words. (laughs) That is an integral part of presenting is the words. Words. Um, But there is a skill. And I think that you do a good job of this. Um, of, of communicating some concepts in a way that like a general audience can understand. Cause you taught, what grade did you teach? I taught high school. I think the youngest student I had was a sophomore. Okay. But mostly juniors and seniors. So you have to figure out a way to take concepts that are, are challenging and complex and sort of distill it in a way that, you know, a student can understand without maybe compromising what you're trying to say. And, mm-hmm. and that is like some people just kind of have it. But it's a learned skill, I think, for most of us. Yes. I had a friend in undergrad and grad school in math who was always like, I don't understand why people don't get this. It's totally different for me. Like, it's easy. I get it. And I was like, well, you have to remember, like, people don't think exactly like you think. So you have to be creative in how you explain stuff. And since I struggle sometimes with certain concepts, uh, in my mind, I usually try to translate it into something more simple mm. for me to understand. And so I think that's the reason I'm decent at watering down things. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if, it's, I don't know if I'd call it watering down. Uh, but simplifying. I, simplifying maybe or, yeah, maybe simplifying. And, and, you know, jargon only gets us so far. 
you know, a lot of people don't know a lot of the technical terms in plant science. And honestly, I don't know all of the terms. So I have to Google a lot. Like in class, I will have Google up on my iPad sure. or my computer. I'm like, what does that word mean? <laughs> <laughs> but that's an important skill too, being yeah. able to find the information you need. Mm-hmm. So without giving away everything that you're doing, you know, because you'll want to publish some data and you don't want to throw it all out there. Can you tell us a little bit about your master's project? So my project is looking at uptake of xenobiotics, which the one that I'm looking at is carbamazepine. It's a pharmaceutical and xenobiotics are just any sort of outside thing working inside the plant or getting taken up into the plant from what I understand. <laughs> but so carbamazepine is pretty prevalent in uh, wastewater mm-hmm. because when you take any sort of medication, it metabolizes, but you don't use 100% of it. Your body excretes some of it in waste. So carbamazepine, I think it's 97% is excreted oh, wow. in your waste. Yeah, which is kind of scary. It's yeah. either 97 or 93 Don't quote me on either of those. I I can't remember. But so you excrete that much every day when you take that medication. And so it's just so prevalent in the water because it's also resistant to degradation. Hmm. It's not volatile. So it doesn't get um, it doesn't like evaporate and go into the clouds. It mostly stays in the water or it is attached to like sediment. So sorb to sediment or uh, in the soil and then plants will take it up because plants take up stuff in the soil. Yeah. And then uh, we end up finding it in just plants in general. And so the issue that I'm more concerned about is our lack of water resources currently. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen, but like some of the images of lakes and their typical wild. Yeah. Like their typical height in their lake basin. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like so much lower than what it should be. And so we're trying to figure out, not me specifically, but people in general are trying to figure out how to use water more efficiently. And hydroponics is very efficient with its water use because you don't have to apply it regularly. You just have your reservoir and you recycle it. But then the issue is, is if we use reclaimed wastewater, which is just wastewater from a treatment facility that's been filtered a lot, if we use that, we still have these pharmaceuticals and other personal care products, and we could even have runoff from farms mm-hmm. like pesticides or you know just anything. And so the issue is, is if we use these um, this reclaimed wastewater on our crops, are our crops taking up all of these pharmaceuticals, personal care products, whatever? Sure. And so that's kind of the scary part of it. And what I'm trying to do is show how much lettuce takes up of that pharmaceutical. Okay. Which is scary. I now refuse to use unfiltered water and ice. (laughs) (laughs) I have a special like ice tray that I use. And if my husband gets me ice from the fridge, I'm like, no, take it back. I I don't want it. This is not for me. (laughs) No, I RO system 100%. Well, you know, and that's such an interesting issue because we talk a lot about water quality and quantity and all that. And there are are a lot of um, municipalities around where we are and throughout Texas that use large amounts of reclaimed wastewater in in part of their supply. I believe uh, Wichita Falls, which is sort of north of the Dallas area, northwest, I think they get about 30% of their supply um, from reclaimed wastewater, uh, which they clean it. It's thoroughly processed. But the question of how much of some of these things can you actually process out Mm -hmm. is, is fascinating in a scary sort of way. 
Yeah, I've looked at the EPA's uh, potable water reuse. I don't remember the word. It's it's a weird word. But anyway, like I read that and I couldn't find any guidelines or any restrictions on, you know, the quality of the water. I just saw something that said, this is what we found. And this is the amount of, you know, insert pharmaceutical in the water. And it's like, okay, so you found it, but you don't have recommendations, you know, for how to filter it out or, you know, how much should be in the water or if you should have any at all. Like they just, there's not a lot on like restrictions. Well, and I'm just thinking, thinking through this as we talk and, you know, some of the chemicals that we're talking about that are necessary for human health, you know, pharmaceuticals and stuff, you know, we, and that, that's sort of tangent to what we're talking about, but they're things that people use, right? Mm -hmm. They're things that help people in various ways the way some of these chemistries are designed, they can pass through a lot of filtration mm-hmm. systems like in our bodies. Mm-hmm. So it's not a jump to think that maybe they can pass through a lot of filtration. Like, so, yeah. so for example, um, the little town Wolferth that's just right by Lubbock, they have a state-of-the-art water treatment facility. That's um, nice. It's, it's actually probably one of the most advanced in the country. Interesting. Um, it's called electrodialysis reversal. It's similar to like what a dialysis machine does. Um, and it's it's about twice as efficient as reverse osmosis. It's really a great system. That's interesting. Because when – so they they get all of their water from 16 municipal wells. That's their whole supply. Uh, they're not tied into the big system that Lubbock is. And uh, for those of you out there listening, don't worry too much about the locations. That doesn't matter <laughs> for what I'm so, – so all water has heavy metals and arsenic and all kinds of things in it, right? Lots of fun stuff. Lots of fun stuff. And it's, it's what levels are they acceptable for human consumption at? Well, the EPA changed some of their guidelines, uh, which they do as, you know, new data comes out. And under the new guidelines, this is about 10 years ago, under the new guidelines, the water in Wolforth didn't test out anymore. It had just barely too much arsenic. The same, oh, no. oh, I know. And it was the same <laughs> amount of arsenic that had always been in the water, but the regulations changed. So their options were build a treatment facility or tie into this big water system and pay like four times as much for water. So they mm-hmm. chose to build this plant. Um, and so it's really good at taking out metals and, and um, calcium in the water and arsenic and all these big uh, larger molecules. But I don't know how much they they test for some of these pharmaceuticals. I don't yeah. know how effective even these incredibly advanced filtration systems are. And that's pretty interesting to think about. It's scary. Uh, also that, yes. Um, so there is someone named Dana Culpin. She has a paper written about uh, a bunch of streams just over the U.S. and all of the stuff that they found in these streams. And, of course, it's not like a, an exhaustive list. It has a lot of... Um, Antibiotics, of course, Tylenol, uh, pain medicine like tramadol, sure. lots of uh, antidepressants, anti-anxiety medicine, mood stabilizers, stuff like that. Like a lot of things that could be detrimental to a regular person if it's taken in too much, uh, especially the mood altering medications. We don't know how that will affect humans over mm. time if we continue to consume, you know, uh, water with pharmaceuticals or crops with pharmaceuticals in them. And so it's kind of, I don't know how you would figure out if it affects humans without it being unethical, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, and that's above my pay grade for sure. Yeah. 
But, you know, on, on our side, on the plant side, it is cool that we can look at where some of this stuff is ending up in the environment, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, that tells us that I think that tells us a lot about maybe other places it's bioaccumulating and things like that. Yeah, pretty it, cool. I think she looked at mostly uh, wastewater affluence. Okay, affluence, affluence. Yeah. Words are hard. No, you're good. <laughs> so she looked at that, and I think it was like eighty something streams in the U.S. And they found they found a lot, and it's kind of scary and. I found two articles about how tramadol and methamphetamines affect behavior of fish or aquatic life. Huh. And it does affect them. It can affect their breeding. Wow. And also, obviously, their behavior. They're a little more sporadic yeah, 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 <laughs> on yeah. methamphetamines. You would, you would think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting to see how it also affects, you know, native life like fish or you know, even animals that drink out of those streams. I mean, who knows what happens, but obviously it could be on a scale that's really, really small and maybe negligible. But thinking about it and thinking of the possibilities is interesting to me. Like it's almost morbid. Yeah, yeah, sure. But it's interesting. Well, and that's where science starts, right? And we we get these kind of sparks of interest, whether they're morbid or not. I mean, I think that's led us to a lot of discoveries um, and a lot of things that help people by like, okay, this is the bad things that could happen and that might happen. Okay, how do we address those things? And that's where science starts, right? We we find these big questions and we find these fascinating lines of thought, whether it's scary or otherwise, and then we figure out how to address them. We figure out how to, you know, um, run down the answers. I think that's cool. Yeah, it's interesting and cool and scary. And scary, right. Um, so we're going to take a break and then when we come back, we're going to switch gears pretty hard. (laughs) We're going to make a hard left. I'm so excited. Uh, Yeah. Uh, (laughs) and we're going to talk about online plant group drama. I love it. I love seeing it. (laughs) Well, Hey there friends. Welcome to the mid roll. I'm so glad you're here. You enjoying this episode so far? I know we've talked a lot of science and a lot of like sort of science ethics and science theories and all those things. And those are important. Those are important things. But in the back half, we're going to talk about the T of different plant groups. So before we get there, I would like to ask you to connect with Planthropology. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I'm on TikTok as at the plant prof. Um, we have a cool Facebook group called Planthropology's Cool Plant People that you should definitely be a part of. You can email me at planthropologypod at gmail.com. I would love to hear your ideas and thoughts and comments and all of that about the show. It makes it better and I really like to get your feedback. Also, if you haven't done so, it would mean a lot if you would take just a couple of minutes and head over to Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or anywhere that you're listening and leave me a rating and review. Obviously, I would love to have a five-star review, but I really want your honest feedback. If you're going to be really mean, maybe like email me instead of leaving a one-star. That would be nice. But it helps the show get seen, and it kind of makes my insides feel all warm and fuzzy. And it would be nice if you'd help me do that. Thanks so much to the Texas Tech Department of Plant and Soil Science for supporting this show and letting me do it. If you would like to support the show, you can head over to buymeacoffee.com slash plantropology. And uh, for the price of a coffee, you'll buy me a coffee. You can also head to my Redbubble store. You can get there by going to planthropologypod.com and clicking on merch. And uh, there's cool stickers and hats and T-shirts and all kinds of great stuff. I'll be adding more uh, different products over the summer. So it should be a lot of fun. And I would really appreciate you checking it 
out. Honestly, the best way you could help me support the show is just by telling your friends. Uh, Share content on social media. If there's an episode you really like, tell your friends about it. Um, It really helps the show grow and it helps us move along through time and space. Thanks to the Podfix Network for letting me be on and for being such cool podcast people. Um, What else? Are there more things? Nah, nah. We'll just jump back into the second half of the episode, and we're going to learn about the crazy prices that people are charging for plants sometimes, and all of the drama that goes into Facebook plant groups. We're back, and we are going to leave the serious heavy conversation in the first half of this episode. So uh, this is your reward, if you're listening, for listening to serious science talk. Um as a plant person, yes, um, I think you can probably agree with me that plant people are nuts. Yes. We're nuts. I, I like being nuts, though. It's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has led <laughs> over the past years to all of these like online groups, whether on Facebook or probably Facebook's where most of them mm-hmm. live. Um, and I don't know if, if you out there listening are involved in not just plant groups, but any like hobby or fan group or whatever it's wild it's wild like the amount of just like toxic craziness in some of these is it's unbelievable yeah like i'm in a twilight sting group (laughs) and i'm in multiple actually that's kind of embarrassing but yeah even people in that group like it can get heated sometimes but most of the time it's pretty lighthearted and like but like some of the plant communities are wild yeah like, I joined a lot because of one of my friends. She was like, hey, you should look at these buy-sell trade groups and, like, purge groups. And I was like, oh, okay, sure. That would be fun to, like, look at plants and see what the prices are. But sometimes people get really grumpy in the comments. <laughs> and, like, people get called out a lot, too, like sellers. Like, the first picture I think I sent you about plant tea, this person had uh, what they called a variegated waro like an anthurium. I think that's how you say the yeah. oro. That's usually know. what people say. But anyway, so it's obviously photoshopped. Like half of the leaf is white <laughs> and like it's just so poorly photoshopped. And then they posted. So that that's what they claimed was the mother plant. And then they posted uh, a plantlet, a seedling, whatever. And it has like three spots on the leaf. And it's like, oh, yes, this is brown spotted variegation. (laughs) (laughs) And they're selling it for one hundred and seventy five dollars. And like, I think I sent it to you and you're like, yeah, that's a fungus issue or something. Yeah, for sure. Definitely a disease. And I was just like, I read it and I was like, what the heck? And (laughs) someone commented some really bad Photoshop brown spot variegation LMAO. (laughs) And then the I think the seller commented sold question mark. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I can't remember who it was. That's but. bold. Oh, like, yeah. like someone's obviously calling you out on the fake, the fact <laughs> that you put a fake plant or like a Photoshop plant. Like, so, so you want to buy you it? Want to buy it? Yeah. Sometimes I wonder if people are just like trolling. Like, surely, right? In my mind, that's what I hope. Does that but, make you feel better? Yes, but I know that's not true. So, yeah, when we first started talking about recording this, like, <laughs> we were like, what if we did an episode on all the tea? Tea. Not tea plants, plant tea um, in in these groups. And I, I'll be honest, I have to stay out of them. Yeah, it's it's trouble. I cannot. Do, but because like 
for one, I don't want people to find out in any of these groups. Like there's even a local one here for our mm-hmm. area. And I will occasionally post a picture or something. But like, I don't want people to find out that like I'm greenhouse plant expert guy <laughs> because one, I don't want to answer 5,000 questions. Very fair. Uh, and, and two, I just don't like arguing with people on the internet. I, I tried arguing with people on the internet for a while and I just got too tired. I was like, you know, this is not for me. I'd much rather look at memes. <laughs> but yeah, no, people are wild in these Facebook groups. Um, one group, I think uh, someone shared this or maybe it was an ad that I saw and it was talking about like having a plant sale and everything is 30% off. And then someone commented, yeah, y'all jacked up the prices like yesterday, the six inch pot of some plant was $60, but today it's $90. Like <sighs> jacking up the price and then saying, oh, yes, it's a sale. Like I just, yeah, it doesn't make sense to me. And and so like it's kind of sketchy marketing. Like, yeah. All right. Yesterday it's $60. Today it's $90. But wait, 30% off. Like you're, you're getting a deal. No, you're not. You're, <laughs> you're not still getting, paying more like, than I just, you would have. I don't get it. And well, and, and it's such a weird thing. And like, I, I, I get, you know, I'm, I did an episode a while back about how nuts. Some of the prices I see online are like Lord. nuts. And like, I get that things are worth what people are willing to pay for them. I understand that. That makes sense to me. It's the market. Yeah. It's, but that being said, like, it's not that hard to propagate plants. It's just not. No. And, and I, I don't, I don't begrudge anyone like wanting to make a few extra bucks on their plants. I think that's great. I think yeah. that's a good market. It, it, it puts cash in people's pockets, especially in cases where people need a, maybe a. An escape or something. An escape or a source of cash that is kind of just theirs. And, um, I did a TikTok on this one time and someone mentioned like, um, this is a great sort of business for like women in abusive relationships because it's mostly a cash business it's something that you can like you're for growing plants anyway it's hard to know like yeah and and i think that's awesome but like then you look at some of the prices on these things like your photoshopped uh anterium 175 dollars for fungal leaf like <laughs> people like fungus i don't know Ugh, gross yeah. <laughs> but yeah no it's wild like i saw a tiktok of this girl explaining that she bought this plant for like I want to say like $2,000 or something crazy. And then she propagated it a bunch and she ended up making $8,000 off of it. And I was like, holy cow. Like I see why people want to increase their prices that much, but I just, I don't understand buying something that expensive because plants will die. Oh yeah. Like they, they just sometimes are like, no, you gave me the wrong type of water. I'm dead. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. Coming. I'm, I'm leaving. Yeah. I, you forgot to water me today. <laughs> so of, this, yeah. that, it was your last chance. <laughs> You're out of time. Yeah. I just, if you have that kind of money, I'm jealous. Yes. But also like, are you single? Do you, <laughs> <laughs> do you need like a girlfriend who will willingly spend money on plants for you? Like, <laughs> yes. Thank you. I will do that. But I just, that's more than my rent for like two months when I lived alone. Oh, yeah. Like maybe three months. Well, and it's I just, oh, yeah, no. And and like I look in some of these groups and I'm like, that is a node from like a Monstera elbow or oh something. And I'm like, 
$1,500 for like an unrooted node. It's just like, crazy. That's a couple of months of rent. That's like three car payments. That's it's ridiculous. It's a lot. I, I just pulled up a picture. Marble Mint Variegated Adansonii. So it's a Monstera. Uh, they're $80 each. And it looks like these cuttings, they have one node and they range from like three inches to like four or five inches. No leaves, just a node. So, like so nothing for those of you that don't know what we're talking about, like on some of these plants and it's not true on all of the ones like all interior plants, but on a lot of like monsteras and other plants in that family, like they, they grow these big thick stems and they have nodes on them. And a, a node is a point of like leaf growth or stem growth or root growth. And so they'll get sold without a leaf and essentially you'll pay what $85 and someone will it's crazy. Like send you something that looks like a little piece of ginger <laughs> and you're like, I'm going to try to grow this. Yeah, I sent you something, and I think you called it a worm or something. It's like a oh yeah 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 yeah. It yeah. looks it looks it like looks a like, little cocoon or a it's, something. It's weird looking, but it's a variegated pink princess philodendron, which that's kind of redundant. It's a pink pink princess philodendron, and it's literally like two inches long, and it just has nodes and nothing else, and it's forty dollars. I just I like I could imagine buying like a small plant. For sure, $40, sure. but a whole node, like it's unpredictable. I feel like, like you could give it the perfect conditions, but if it just does not want to live, it will not live. Well, and you never know how they were cut. You don't know how those, those cuttings were collected. And another thing that I think it's important to talk about is that you never know if they're going to stay really true to type. Yes. And, and depending on how much variegation is on the stem, that's how you know how much variegation you'll get out of the leaves. So hmm. if you have one leaf, that's very variegated. <laughs> Highly variegated, maybe uh-huh. that's a better way to say it. When you have those uh, nodes and leaves that are highly variegated and the next leaf is green and there's no variegation, you can cut back to the last variegated leaf and then hopefully that'll make hmm. it grow more variegated leaves. And so there's that option. But like if you get a node and you don't get to pick the node, like what if you don't get what you paid? Yeah. yeah. Like it just doesn't make sense to me unless you're able to pick specific nodes and i think you sent me a video of i think it was actually a company selling them i don't remember if it was a company or, or something and it was is it this uh I, it was like a pink one i don't remember if it was that one specifically but it was like they they were selling this product and maybe somebody else sent it to me i don't yes that was it okay that was it and like so the picture she showed me had leaves that were like half pink and half green and it's another pink princess and it's not stable it that is, is not, not a stable trait no. So the pink princess philodendrons, I think, are known for being very weird with their variegation. They're just not very predictable. And you could get like a beautiful, beautiful pink leaf with green and it speckled everywhere. But then the next leaf will turn out dark green. Yeah. Like I don't I don't know what's what it is about this specific plant, but it just doesn't always produce the beautiful variegated leaves that you see. And the picture I sent Vikram was on Walmart's website and the prices ranged from 170 to $340 for this. I don't know what size it is, but it's, it doesn't look like a very big plant. It doesn't say like what size pot, but like $340 for possible variegation. I just, I don't know. And if you grow it outside, I've heard that helps it better. Like I saw someone who had it growing like in the ground, going up a tree and it was beautiful. Interesting. But like inside, you don't give it the perfect conditions, I guess. And it's like, no, (laughs) you spent all this money 
and I am not going to give you what you want. I, I would also like to talk about you're doing a cool experiment or, or I don't know if experiment's the right word, but yeah, I know I'm going to call it an experiment. It's science. You're doing science. In <laughs> I your mean, home. I'm not writing anything down. It's so. still science. Okay. It's still an experiment. Um, where you bought some tissue cultured plants and there's a lot of controversy over tissue cultured plants in these plant markets. Can you talk about that a little bit? It's wild. Every time I see something like about tissue culture, it just gets me all heated. And I have a friend who actually did did tissue culture in his undergrad and I've told him about it a couple of times. He's like, no, I can't hear anymore. That makes me mad. I don't want to hear anything. But people will like post on these buy sell trade groups and they'll say, hey, I want this plant, but I do not want tissue culture, which is wild to me because a lot of our plants come from tissue cultured plants. Yeah. And if they are not regular like cuttings, I'm sure the stock plant in the past was tissue culture. Sure. It's, I think it's highly likely. But the plant that brought up all of this stuff about tissue culture was the Raphidophora tetrasperma. It took a lot of practice to figure out how to say that. But (laughs) (laughs) But you did a good job. (laughs) It's practice, lots of practice. But this plant, uh, people were noticing that when they went to the store, their cuttings or their small plants that they got from like a small grower were different than the ones at Home Depot. So the plants at like Home Depot, Lowe's, whatever, the big box stores, they weren't showing the ridges on the leaves like Hmm. the ones that people got either from cuttings or like an older plant. And so people were saying like the stock plant that created these tissue culture plants is inferior to the cutting or the Hmm. plant from a cutting that I have. And (laughs) from what I understand If you have a plant that's mature, you take a cutting, that leaf is mature like the rest of the plant. Right. But if you start a plant from tissue culture or seed, it's going to take a while for it to mature. So these mature Raphidophora tetraspermas had the lines on them or the ridges, whatever you want to call them, but the tissue cultures didn't because they were not mature yet. And so people are like, no, it's not as good. I don't want tissue culture, which I get you want a mature plant, but literally it's the same plant you just have to wait for it to grow and people will pay out of the butt (laughs) for these (laughs) non-tissue culture plants but it just i don't think they understand the science behind it they just think okay this is a different propagation method it's not the same as the one i'm used to it doesn't give me the mature plant as fast as i want it to so that one's not as good and like i get that wanting a mature plant sure but like that's how plants grow. They yeah. mature over time. Well, and it's important. I think it's important to think about this in terms of – no, I totally agree with you. The, the, the tissue culture, if you don't know what it is, they take you know small groups of cells, uh, excised from a leaf, excised from a node, wherever they get it, and mm. they put it in a special nutrient auger, grow it under kind of tightly controlled conditions. And you can take just a few cells that sort of de-differentiate. They turn back into just – you know whatever cells they need to be. And then you grow, you add chemicals to it, uh, natural plant hormone chemicals, not like some weird, you know, man-made chemicals or anything crazy. Yeah. And then it grows into a plant. You're just sort of recreating this, um, already natural process, just in a different form. And, um, you do get, so the juvenility, the juvenility period from tissue culture is shorter than from a seed, but it's still there. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you're again, you're not taking a fully mature leaf or fully mature node and rooting it. Those plants are having to redifferentiate their cells and grow back into their ultimate 
kind of mature form. And so it does take a little while. When I explain it to people, sometimes I uh, reference, you know, in vitro fertilization. Sure. It's a similar idea. We're trying to grow a plant out of a couple cells. So you have the egg and the sperm and you grow an embryo out of that and it's in a sterile environment. So usually when I tell people that they're like, Oh, okay, that makes more sense because I think all the plant info is a little confusing sometimes. It can be. And it's, it's different than, you know, what people do. And, uh, (laughs) it is interesting though. And I think part of it too, at least this is how it strikes me. And I'd like to get your take on it too, that in any kind of niche market, scarcity whether it's real or whether it is sort of manufactured is what drives the prices up right absolutely the the fact that oh there's not a whole lot of this like variegated whatever whatever it is um means that i can charge a lot of money for it yes and with tissue culture you can make a whole bunch of plants really fast and really inexpensively out of just a couple small cells from whatever plant yeah and and so i i wonder or it it seems to me that some of the objection to it is people that maybe don't understand it or, or, you know, and if you want a mature plant, that's fine. We're not telling anyone like, don't go buy a, you know, a note or a rooted leaf or whatever. But, and some of it too, it feels like is people that just want to keep the market scarce. Yes. And I think in addition to people, you know, wanting a mature plant versus a immature plant, price definitely affects the plant market 100%. And I think some people get upset with the idea that, oh, if you have these tissue culture plants, you can produce them so fast and so many, they'll be less expensive. And therefore, my plant that is expensive will lose value. Right. And so I think that's the idea behind it for some. Yeah. Not all, obviously. Like, this is just speculation. Sure. <laughs> but it just bothers me that people use the word rare in order to drive up the price of their plant. Yeah. If your plant is actually rare, you should not have it. Like, right? Yeah. If it's rare, it might be endangered or, you know, whatever. And people always say, oh, well, it's rare in the plant market. Ah. But, like, (laughs) it's a buzzword. Like, I see so many Etsy listings, and it's, like, rare philodendron Brazil. And I'm like, I got that at Target or, like, Home Depot for like nine bucks. Yeah. Like that's not rare. Yeah. And so they just use these buzzwords to drive up their prices and make it seem more desirable. Yeah. And I think that's what really bothers me. And in like the misinformation about tissue culture, about how people say it's a less or it's a more inferior plant than whatever else they want, like the mature cutting. It just, it bothers me, the misinformation and then driving up the price using buzzwords that aren't even accurate for the listing. I agree. And and I, I think that, I think you feel similarly that plants in nature should be accessible. Yes. Right. And, and I don't, again, I don't have a problem with people making some money off this. I think it's great. Yeah. Make your money. <laughs> but yeah. And, and, you know, and, and if this is you more, like more power to you, but at, at some point, like, Getting like letting people be be able to buy a houseplant for their house is just one step in getting them interested in some of the stuff we talked about at the beginning, like some of these larger ecosystem issues, mm-hmm. right? Okay, you've got a monstera you really like in your house. Hopefully, at least some of the people that buy it will be driven to research about it mm-hmm. and its conservation and where it grows. And you know, I think it's a great like gateway into caring about nature and caring about the environment. But if things are so expensive that people can't buy it, it doesn't feel like 
we're trying to make nature accessible. It feels like we're just taking this big capitalist uh, uh, sort of track on nature like we've done for everything else for everything else and it just it feels kind of gross to me um but no i think that's and it's it's an interesting conversation to at least start that this you know the the plant trade is not new right Mm -hmm. it the we've been trading plants for thousands of years from ancient egypt to to every i mean it's not new but it kind of has had a resurgence in sort of the Instagram generation, right? Heck yes. Uh, <laughs> I, plant Instagram, plant TikToks, all, everything's all aesthetic all the time and blah, blah, yeah. blah. And That's how I made a lot of my friends on Instagram. And I think that's how we kind of met. Yeah. Yeah, yeah maybe was, so. Because I think I bothered you on Instagram. I was like, <laughs> hello, <laughs> let's be friends. But I think – like you said earlier, it's really good to have plants because it introduces people to these bigger issues and ideas, but also brings people together as a community because I wouldn't have met some of my best friends if I hadn't started my plant stam gram. <laughs> I like that. And so like, I think there are a lot of positives with the online plant community, especially with just making friends and sharing plants. Like, a lot of people see my plants and they're like, wow, you have a lot. You must have spent a lot of money. And it's like, mm, yes, but also, <laughs> no, I got a lot of cuttings from a lot of friends. And that's how I've grown out some of my plants. Like sharing is probably my favorite part about the plant community is just like, oh, you want that cutting? Here you go. Like have it. Yeah. I have a node. There you go. Yeah. But it does get a little wild, honestly, because people are people. They'll have drama and everything. Like it's just human nature. But this might be a good segue into YouTube plant people. Uh There is a specific YouTuber, and I'm not going to name names, but they have been accused of um, stealing from a botanical garden. Oh, wow. They were volunteering, and when you volunteer there, apparently they give out cuttings. But this person took a Monstera uh, oblique which is a very difficult plant to propagate and just keep apparently because it needs such high humidity. Mm -hmm. And so this person took this cutting from the botanical garden and then grew it out a little and sold it. That's what they're being accused of. Sure. And oblicas are really difficult to get your hands on. Like they're really expensive. They can be in the thousands from the last time I looked at least. And so it just, brings up the whole idea like if people see that these plants are so expensive what is that going to do for any endangered species i know in california there are a lot of people who poach succulents oh yeah like all the time and so poaching plants is now becoming an issue maybe not the biggest issue but it's still an issue because oh, for sure those those plants are in nature and you're just taking them out of their ecosystem yeah and oh, we'll go ahead I was going to say, how how are they going to repopulate if you're taking a large amount of them? It's going to hurt their population long term, mm-hmm. especially if they're not easily propagated in nature. Yeah. And that, I mean, and we see a lot of that in Texas, too. In far west Texas, there's a few species of uh, lithops and like those living stones and a few other the little butt succulents. The, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, that, that are endemic to a couple of places that like you can only find them there. And so, yeah, people go dig them up and sell them. And, and for like hundreds or thousands of dollars uh, nationally and internationally. That's ridiculous. And it's like, yeah, so for one, if, if it needs to be said, don't steal stuff. Yes, That's please. not don't, cool. Don't do it. <laughs> um, and we've had issues here at the greenhouse of people coming in and like 
taking cuttings of stuff. And you can tell because you'll walk in and I'm like, there was more plant here yesterday, right? Uh, and not that we have like a super rare collection or anything, but still, like if you're at a botanical garden, um, don't touch anything. Don't touch anything. <laughs> Just look with your faces and like these botanical gardens. And and I don't think I'm overstating this. Are some of the last chances for some species of plants, right? They are uh, a well-run botanical garden is a conservatory or a conservation effort for a lot of very rare species in the same way that some well-run zoos, zoos are for animals, right? Mm-hmm. Like these animals are not surviving in the wild. We want to keep them around. Same with plants. Um, so by going and like taking a leaf, taking a cutting, it's you ridiculous. may be taking away from a very, very limited supply of genetics that when it's gone, it's gone. Mm-hmm. It's it's wild. I don't I don't understand the idea behind stealing from like a public garden or yeah. like a botanical garden. Like they're there to educate people and show people how beautiful these plants are and what why it's important for them to keep growing. And it just it makes me sad. Yeah. <laughs> like big time. But it does remind me um apparently my grandpa was in Alabama or something driving around like coming home from a business trip or something I don't know and he saw some bushes on the side of the road and he dug them up and brought them home and I think they're still growing outside my granny's house wow that is what my parents told me I obviously was (laughs) not there but like that that story makes me laugh but it is like a bad thing to do it's not okay like you don't steal plants from public spaces or yeah. it just, I don't know. Yeah. It makes me sad. Very sad. <laughs> so yeah, don't, don't do that. And and if you have like, if you have cool plants, like awesome, take pictures of them, share them with your friends, all that. Like, I think, I think that overall these markets and all these efforts are a net good. I still mm-hmm. think that the popular, like I've never been cool before. I'm probably still not cool now. <laughs> I think you're cool. Oh, that's sweet. Um, you're but, <laughs> but, but like, when I started studying plants and of course it's been a while, people are like, why? Like, that's not cool. But in the last 10 years, like plants have become really popular, very popular all over the internet, you know, with a lot of different people and people that you would never think would keep house plants are keeping really cool house plants. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's a good thing. Like getting people in, in interested is a good thing, but let's let's, and, and I, I've said this before, but you know, I think, Plant people are, are nature people in general, and we sometimes are hard on different industries and groups, and a lot of times rightfully so. I think we just got to be careful not to become what we hate. Yes, and definitely vet your sellers. Like there are Facebook groups specifically for that to make sure that you buy from someone who's, you know, uh, producing plants sustainably and not poaching plants yeah. or not selling endangered plants yeah. because that is a big no no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like for sure. If they're endangered, they they go back in nature or like a botanical garden, like you said. I just, yeah. So, so be responsible, please. <laughs> um, and that may be a good advice for the end of the episode as we wrap up. It's been fifty-two minutes; it's gone fast. Uh, we could probably rant about plants all day. Oh my god, I could one hundred percent. So, I like to end my episodes by asking my guests if they had a piece of advice for people oh to leave with, and it can be about plants, it can be about anything. Uh, what would you want the however many people listen to this episode, nine people, uh, <laughs> to uh, to take away with them? Oof. 
And I can take my time answering this. Right I'll drop here. some elevator music in here. It's great. Some... <laughs> I was about to say, you can cut out the side. Oh, absolutely. Oh, God. Advice. Or I can leave it in and make it real uncomfortable for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I am an uncomfortable person to be around sometimes. Someone told me once that I was so awkward that it was endearing. Oh, uh, <laughs> like, thanks. Yeah, I guess. I would think advice related to plants or school or just anything in general is to have a good community, a good support system. Um, with school, I've had a great support system, especially this degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, my advisor, Vikram, obviously people in the department that I bother on day to day basis <laughs> by telling them bad jokes. Like they're all very supportive. And that's a really good thing to have, especially in something that makes you cry a lot, <laughs> like grad school. Have someone to support you through the tears. Yeah. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've had a good, ugly car cry on the way. Home. <laughs> and I'm not saying that, like, grad school makes you cry a lot. It's just that the stress surrounding it is just overwhelming. And I cry a lot anyway. So, but... Also related to plants, having a good support system and community is amazing. Like like I said earlier, I've met a lot of really good friends, and I'm pretty sure these are going to be either long-term friends or lifelong friends. Like, I haven't met some of these girls in my group, but, like, I consider them best friends. Yeah. And I think that's really great that now that we have this big <laughs> internet-wide plant community, you can find friends and just people to share your enjoyment with plants about. That's cool. I like I, that. I like plants That's and people awesome. sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like plant people. Me too. Most of the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so Emily, where, where can we find you on the, do you want to be found on the internet? I mean, my name's pretty standard. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you can find a bunch of Emily's online. Standard issue name. But, oh, there is this. Okay. So if you Google Emily Stam and you don't include my middle name Rose, which Good job, parents. Like yeah, they, they knew that I was going to be they a plant to, right? person. Like, yeah. They just saw the future. But if you look up Emily Stam, there is another Emily Stam who got a master's in math. Really? Yes. And she has her own um, consulting firm. It's like, yeah. Anyway, so if you Google me, that might pop up. But also, I'm on TikTok mm-hmm. and I'm on Instagram. And both of those are plant stam gram. I'll post a link. I'm very proud of that. It's pretty that username. I like I'm, it. Sometimes I'm funny. You're just, usually pretty funny. Just sometimes, I think. No, nah, I think you're funny. I don't know. My stats class might disagree since <laughs> I have a list of stats and math jokes <laughs> on my iPad. And when I tell the joke, I would look down my at my list and go, oh, here's the joke. And then be like, I'm going to cross off my <laughs> list now. Like, So so I'm going to reveal something about Emily here. She's oh very God. organized. Oh, God, uh, am I? <laughs> well, at least in terms of memes. In yes. terms of comedy, Emily is very – like she has <laughs> folders on her phone for like this type of meme, that type of meme. So I'm listing out some of my folders. Me with horses on campus. Talk <laughs> <laughs> reactions. Lettuce funnies. <laughs> <laughs> then I have a French meme folder called Les Memes. Um, That's so good. Yeah. Another fun one. Pictures of lettuce people send me. Because that's a thing. I feel like I'm going to have to put lettuce funnies in the <laughs> the episode title. Lettuce funnies. Lettuce funnies. But I do have like reaction memes, plant memes, poop memes. Poop memes as necessary. Everyone poops. Yeah, that's true. And then my favorite name for a... Um, for a meme folder is endomeme triosis. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's clever. Oh, I dig it. But uh, let us let us remain calm. 
Um, there's a picture of someone with like a lettuce blanket. I don't have a lot of lettuce memes, but I have some. You I sound have, very disappointed. <laughs> I, I can't find any more. I wish I could. But yeah. So, so everyone, as we wrap up, my charge to you is to send us your lettuce memes. Send us all the memes. I will I, take all plant and memes. And I will pass them on to Emily. Yes. So. <laughs> Well, thank you for talking to me. That was fun. Thank you for hanging out with me. I know I asked you to do this. <laughs> it's so fun. But yeah, I enjoyed it. Awesome. Well, thank you for listening. I hope you are responsible with your plant use. Please. And yeah, please, pretty please. And all the things. And I hope you'll look Emily up on the social medias. And uh, you people are cool. We'll talk next time. Bye. I love you. <laughs> I'm leaving that in. <laughs> Y'all, I think that was such good advice. We cannot do better in life, whether we're in plant groups or in graduate school or in anything else we do, than to build a great community around ourselves. And to that end, you folks are the best community I could have asked for, for doing something like this. Thank you so much for listening and being part of this journey. And thanks again to Emily for uh, having the idea to come talk about plant group tea. It was a lot of fun and just for being my friend and for being such a great student in our department. I hope that you will go follow her on social media. I hope you'll follow Plant Topology, all the places online. Uh, send me your thoughts, comments, leave me a review, all of that. Thanks once more to the Texas Tech Department of Plant and Soil Science for just the support and everything else and uh, just letting this be part of my job because that's the coolest thing ever. Y'all, you folks know how much I love you, right? Because I really do. I love y'all so much. And uh, I appreciate all the time you spend listening and interacting and just being part of the Planthropology community. Y'all keep being really cool plant people. We're going to talk about trees next week. Keep being kind to one another. If you have not been kind to one another, maybe give that a try. Y'all are the best. Be safe, be kind, and I'll talk to y'all next week. You've been listening to a podcast of the Podfix Network. Discover more audible gems like this at podfixnetwork.com. Make sure to catch up-to-the-minute network shenanigans by following at podfix on Twitter, official underscore podfix on Instagram, at Podfix Network on Facebook. And make sure to subscribe to Podfix Presents wherever you choose to find podcasts. The Podfix Network, artist owned and loved.